Welcome to the China Flexpert podcast. My name is Verena and I'm the newest member of the podcast team. What makes me a Flexpert? Well, I'm in China since more than a decade. I learned Chinese in the streets of Shanghai and I developed a decent career on my own terms. If you want to know how to gain the necessary skills to have a flourishing career in China yourself, join our Flexpert community and tune into the Flexpert podcast. We always have exciting guests like today. Nadav is the general manager of the Inclusion Factory in Taizang. He will tell us a story, how he came to China, and a lot of advice for other flexpats. What brings me to China is my wife. I came as the Tai Tai. My wife studied East Asia studies and Chinese in Israel. At some point, she opened her language school, teaching Chinese in, in schools and for older people as well. She was accepted for a Confucius scholarship in Beijing, in Renda. And uh, we said, okay, let's give it a try. We were back then about 30 years old. And we said, uh, let's, let's change a little bit. Let's change the environment. So we went to Beijing. And I have to say, before that, we were living, we had like a house in the countryside with a big yard and we were growing our own vegetables. When we moved to Beijing, when we landed, we went to the university and they offered us a room in the dormitory with no toilet, public showers, metal beds like prison. And we were just sitting there shocked. This is how we started in China. I was always working in the social sector. Either I worked with elderly people or underprivileged youth. And I was looking to do the same in China. But of course, being A, a foreigner, B, doesn't speak Chinese. It's very difficult to, to find a job as a social worker. What happened then was a funny story. For six months, I was depressed, looking for a work as a social worker in China. And then I saw an ad that says that they are opening a, a sheltered factory, meaning a, a protected environment uh, for people with intellectual disability, with disabilities in Beijing. And I was, wow, this is like exactly what I need. And they were looking for a foreigner with the background, right? So the Chinese was not the big issue in the language. So I immediately, like, I fixed my CV to make sure that they match and, and I submitted it. And the guy actually called me the other day. Uh, he was a German guy, like very heavy German accent. Took me a while to understand, but we had a great talk, like 20, 30 minutes, great talk. Where, like we hit it off immediately. And then I told him, okay, I want to come and have a look. Where is it in Beijing? And he told me, no, no, no. It's in Beijing Loop, in Beijing Street, in Taizang. And I told him, sorry, where is Taizang? And he tells me, that's in Shanghai. And then we realized that the website, because it's Taizang Street, they put it under Taizang City. But I'm very grateful for the guy, who, guy or lady who did this mistake because first I told him, okay, then it's not relevant. It's like 1,400 kilometers away or whatever. And then I thought about it again and I talked to my wife. I called him again. I told him, okay, I want to come and have a look. So the next day I catch a flight to Shanghai. I came, I fell in love in the place in what was behind it. It was really, really just not yet even open. And I joined and eight years later, here we are now. Both me and my wife work here and the factory, the inclusion factory where we work, I believe the best working place in China. This is truly the most romantic love story between China and a foreigner that I've ever heard. What was the most intense time you have gone through here? Really, my first six months in China before I found this job were really tough. I was very active in my previous life in Israel. And then I fell into like completely very difficult times mentally, right? Just following a person and it's like you're canceling yourself. And and then somehow I talked with, the, with one Israeli lady who came to China following her partner who was the consulate. And she told me, all you have to do is to survive. Just survive the first year. China is tough. China is very, very different. Just survive. Whatever happens, whatever storms come, just survive. But mostly people, after some time, they kind of give up. It's too, it's too different for them. It's too overwhelming. 
So they end up giving, they, they ended up giving up. You will see that if you are able to survive, if you, if you can pass this first year, then you will end up benefiting from this even much more than your partner who dragged you to China. Without the comparison, she was absolutely right. And ever since then, I was giving the same tip to people who was contacting me, like you've been in China for eight years, then what's the secret? And I was telling them exactly the same thing. And I was getting phone calls after a few years telling me, yeah, yeah you're right. I'm not right. That lady was right. You have to change, right? You're changing yourself to survive here. So this change, if you're willing to go through it and you are flexible enough, then we both know the opportunities are amazing at the end. Is this a typical flex fit for you? Someone who pushes through the first year, who is flexible and build up a career by himself? I would say it's someone that is mentally flexible enough to adjust himself to a completely new environment, right? It's not about the first year or six months. It's more about the willingness to accept. I mean, because we come here, we so criticize the local culture. But just because it's not like how we are used to things, right? It's not like the countries we come from, everything is perfect there. But we come with this kind of mindset. Ah, they do it like this, they do it like this. They don't know how to, but they know very well. They just do it different. And those who are not willing to accept this difference are the ones who are not surviving here, who, who, who stay with this mindset of I know what's right and they don't. They are the ones who end up just being frustrated and, and catching the, the, the flight. How did your career grow in the social field in China? Because I could imagine this profession is not very popular in this market. I mean, I was looking, as I mentioned before, I was looking for something in this field. And once I found this factory in Taizhou, I came, I started as a job coach, meaning as a trainer. I worked myself with 12 people with uh, disabilities. They don't speak English. I don't speak Chinese. But it was basically the best few months of my life, I think, the most adventure I have. So, uh, and then over time we grew. Today, what started as a, a small company of 12 people, today we are 70. Yeah, the environment is challenging, definitely. But this is exactly what we are trying to change. We are trying to make the environment more accepting towards people with disabilities, trying to show that they want to be members of our society. I mean, currently they are really excluded. You don't see people with disabilities in the streets. You don't hear about them in media either. So what we set up to show is that given the right environment, given the right support, and most importantly, the acceptance from, from the society, from the so-called mainstream normal society, once, once there is this kind of acceptance, then people with disabilities really want to contribute and they want to be part of us, part of the regular uh, normal society. Why do you think Chinese people have an acceptance issue? And is this valid for every kind of disability or are there some which are easier accepted? No, it's not the same for each disability. People who have physical disability, let's say wheelchair or hard of hearing or blind are more accepted. Whereas the people that we deal with who are intellectually challenged, meaning people who were born with a certain precondition or, are, or maybe are not intellectually developed to their physical age, they are less accepted. Uh, why is that? mainly because of lack of education. I mean, once you're not exposed to this in childhood, in schools, it's, if this topic is not being discussed by media or with your parents, if you don't see a person with disability on the street and then you point out and you ask your mother, what, what is it, right? 
if you don't see them and you don't talk about them, there is ignorance. And, and once there is ignorance, there is also fear. The situation in China, by the way, like many other countries, uh, is that there is kind of a misconception. People still believe that if someone in your family was born with intellectual disability, that is something that you should be ashamed of. And you should, she should not go out to the street and people should not know that your son is with intellectual disabilities. And I can understand that being a parent, it's quite tough, but that is something that could be educated and explained that a certain percentage of the population will always be with disabilities. That is natural. And it's only for us to accept them and accept ourselves on the way. Maybe that's what we are so afraid of, right? So it shows us our potential weaknesses. It shows us maybe what can happen to us also or to our children or to our elderly parents. And I think this is the reason that it's not been so welcome in the local culture, but again, very much so in other cultures as well. The inclusion factory is supporting people with intellectual disabilities. What exactly are they doing? So the inclusion factory is a manufacturing factory, which you can outsource work to. So in order to show that our people can contribute to the society and to the economy, we basically provide assembly services. So imagine you have a company and you need some product to be assembled, then you can outsource it to us. Our prices are competitive and it has this edge or this additional benefit that you know that the work is done by people with disabilities. So you're providing uh, employment to people with disabilities by outsourcing your work. You get good PR image for this, right? So for your company, for practicing uh, corporate social responsibility. So that is what the Inclusion Factory started with six, seven years ago. Since then, because of demand from the market, we started also helping other companies to hire people with disabilities internally. Meaning if your company is seeking to diversify your workforce, if you are willing to open your gates to people who are a little bit different, but can definitely contribute, then we will be your partner for this. We will help companies to, to source people with disabilities, train them, retain them as employees, and communicate this to the other staff members of your company so they are all more accepting towards it. So that's generally what we do. What kind of companies would reach out to you either for outsourcing of their assembly or getting more diversity into their organization? So for the, for the assembly, for the production, we mostly work with automotive, European automotive companies. That is because first they know these kind of models. They are used to working with them from Europe where they are actually obligated to do so. And second, we are good with automotive because the volumes are quite big and it's repetitive work. So people with intellectual disabilities, they, are, they feel very comfortable when they have to repeat the same action time after time. And therefore the automotive is perfect for us. You know, volumes are big, work is quite stable, demand is quite high in China. So this is what we mostly work in, those, in uh, assembly. Whereas in the consultancy where we help companies to hire, this is very diversified. We are now working with the Playmobil to open a coffee shop that will hire people with disabilities. At the same time, we are working with L'Oreal in Suzhou, where we are helping them to, to open like kind of a packaging line that will all be hiring people with disabilities that are working there. So this, this has no limitation, actually. I mean, every company that is willing to open its gates to people with disabilities to diversify a little bit, then we can make it happen. We've also done it in administration positions in companies. So this is all doable. Is it mostly for diversity, for CSR, or do you see more benefits why companies should hire people with disabilities? So companies do it mostly now because of CSR, because of branding and image, company image. China is a quota country. Quota country means that by law, every company has to hire 1.5% of their workforce, people with disabilities. So this is a nation, nationwide law. 
If you do not meet this quota, then you pay a penalty. You pay a kind of a fine. So that's one incentive. On the other hand, there are also tax incentives. So hiring people with disabilities also entitles the company to receive tax incentives. I think the incentives, these financial incentives are not strong enough to, to be the reason why companies diversify. I think it's mostly company culture. If the company is also already experienced with this kind of project globally, or if you have a strong CSR manager in the big corporates, or just that you find the right person in HR or in operation that, is, that has a reason why he's doing it. Many times there are parents. Many times you find out that the company approached you, you communicate, and then you find out that this contact person is maybe a parent to a child with disability or maybe a sibling is with disability in the family. So they are a little bit more sensitive to the topic. Let's say the CEO is completely convinced and wants to go into this direction, but middle management is a little bit afraid to implement. How could you help these kind of companies and their managers to think it over and find motivation to hire people with disabilities? Yeah, you, you touched uh, the key point, I think. So in many cases, our projects with companies starts from the C-level. The C-level knows the value of such a project. Maybe they have experience uh, implementing similar projects in other countries. And they are the one initiating the, this kind of communication with us. Whereas in reality, the C-level will then delegate it, right, to the middle management. And, you, and we found ourselves that we have to convince this middle management that it's worth a try. And this was for us like the glass ceiling. We kept hitting the ceiling time after time uh, where we had great contacts into companies that were interested in this. But then the, the HR or the operational manager or were always bringing concerns to the table. I mean, what could happen and what liability and what are the risks and why do I need it? I mean, I'm an operation director. I have very strict KPI. Now you want to introduce people with disabilities in, into my operation that's going to slow down right? It's going to hurt my KPIs, which I can understand, right? That is their job to manage an operation. If we wanted to make inclusion happen, we had to deal with this. What we've done, we've localized the training that is called disability equality training. It's a two-day seminar that we invite these managers here to the inclusion factory. And we just openly discuss with them in a structured way, but it's a very open, like very interactive discussion. We opened this topic. I mean, this is just a topic that was never discussed. But at the end, we always say people are people. If you sit with a person in a room and you try to, we say, like, lay off the guns, like, let's not try now to, to put the fence between us and us, just talk as humans. It, it creates a feeling, right? A person can, can relate to this, why it's important to do it, why, why I should care about it. Because we isolate them from their very demanding working environment in a factory, right? And we bring them here and they see for their own eyes it can work. And they think from a second, from a point of view of a, of a parent or a sibling, and maybe a person also, you know, my, something can happen to us also and we can end up disabled. A car accident or some stroke or whatever, this happens. Once we start doing these trainings, these awareness raising seminars, we've seen the change. Would you say for yourself, this profession also has changed you, maybe in the way you think about China or this kind of field? Definitely. If it wouldn't, I would not stay here for so long. I think it, it developed me so much to do it, especially in China, because it was so, it is still so challenging. Because when, when I've done similar things in Israel before, you know, the, the, the road is paved already. It's easy. The society is well educated about this topic. The government supports with policies. Whereas here we had to pave new roads every day. There is no law even that deals with the employment of people with intellectual disabilities because they're not supposed to be employed in this culture. It's, it's unheard of. Why to hire them? So you are working in a very gray zone 
which I learned to love, right, in China, because it allows you to, it allows you, it gives you more freedom. It has its risk, of course, you have to be careful in many different steps that you make, but it makes it much more interesting because you, you feel like you're doing something for the first time. Me and my wife, we keep saying that like eight years in China feel like 50 in, in the countries we come from because everything is so intense, everything is so fast and you are able to do much more than you could imagine. You know, we come from countries, even though Israel is Middle East, uh, but it's still structured. We feel like that we developed in China so much. We've become much more patient first. Uh, we learn so much from this culture, things that we would criticize before. We end up understanding their value. If it's going to bed early, let's start with the simple things. Habits of eating on time, like no one eats breakfast in Israel and only on the weekend, right? But you just go on with your day. But here, like this morning and, and lunch at 12 o'clock and dinner at six o'clock, you learn, I mean, it, your body feels better with this, right? So these are like the, the kind of healthy things and all the way to, you know, to be more balanced, not to take everything personal, like emotional, not just, it's not in a bad, like uh, strictly business thing. Just we, we come from a country that is very emotional, like many countries around the Mediterranean. It's kind of like you learn here to, okay, so that's your opinion or that's, that's your idea how this product should work. Then let's, let's find the middle ground. Let's make things work. So I think you, 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 you matured here. It's such a different environment that it forces you again to adjust yourself all the time and, and to pay attention to the balances. Like, where are you? How are you? It's just a wonderful experience, which I recommend every human to, to change into a completely different environment at some point in his life and go out from this box that we are the comfort zone. I think China is like doing this on steroids for people. You have a family. Is it challenging to cover the costs of living on a flexible job? How do you handle it? The first thing that we are lucky is that we live in Taichung because then the, the, the life costs are much lower than Shanghai. Uh, it's only one hour drive, but it's a different world, actually, in, in terms of rents and, and whatever. And I do think it has a positive side, I mean, of raising kids in China. The same like we, we felt this experience developed us, we also feel it developed, it's developing them. So you either make compromises, you don't get your kids into, into the kind of private schools or kindergarten that you were looking for, and you, you make some kind of compromise on this kind of mixture of, there are plenty of them, right, for young flex packs in China, uh, in Shanghai, like a kindergarten that is kind of framed as international, but it's a little bit more local. And because Taizang is, is, is a hub of European, mostly German companies, then they also created, you know, their own kindergarten and schools for the, for the expat kids. So you end up with, uh, with a good international education system in relatively more uh, normal costs. But uh, this can only last for so long. I mean, it's only valid mostly for the kindergarten age. For schools, it's already... Is not the kind of schooling that we hope for our kids. And therefore, we were thinking to move to Shanghai, actually, before we decided to leave. But then we saw the, the cost of living in Shanghai uh, and the cost of international kindergarten. If you don't have a company uh, paying this, then you better make a lot of money in your own business. Otherwise, it's quite challenging. Was this a crucial point for you deciding to leave China or were there any other reasons? The main reason is mostly our family because, first of all, our parents are getting older. Also, their health is not very good recently, so we want to be with them. And yeah, we have two kids that haven't seen their family 
One that was born like about a year ago, didn't see anyone ever. And our, our elder son, who's like three and a half years, he's here for two and a half years now. So our parents cannot come here. We cannot go back to our country, at least to visit. So that was a, a big issue. And we were hoping, okay, probably China will, will change the policy with the COVID, right? Probably they will lighten things up a little bit, but it's not going to happen. It seems like we waited far more than enough to see a change that uh, now is clear is not going to happen. We feel honestly that, let's say, the price that we pay for staying here, even though we love the project, what we love what we do at the Inclusion Factory, it is our first child, actually. The price that we pay for living here is becoming higher and higher, not in terms of money. I don't know if sacrifices, but, you know, the kind of compromises is a better word, the kind of compromises that you have to do. I mean, if we were still just a couple, like when we came to China, then that was okay. Uh, but once you have kids, it changes, a, you know, it changes a lot. And, and the kind of education that we wish for our kids is not something that at the moment we can get in China, regardless of the price that we would pay for it. That means if you as a flexpot are leaving, what's happening to your flexpot position? It means that they are open, are interested to, to submit application, we will be happy. Actually, we, we, we will not leave until we find the right people to take over. So for us, it's not, it's not work. It's not a place of, that we go to work and that's it. It's... Uh, There is a lot of emotional connection between us and this place. We were part of the founding team. So therefore, we will not leave until we find the right people, which is not easy to find. If we're talking about local talents, then there are plenty, but the mindset is not there yet. This kind of social enterprise mindset of understanding what we're trying to do. And if we're talking about flex pets of, or, or just foreigners, they're also not here so much recently and less and less. So it's, it's a little bit of a challenge to find the successors, but we are working on it. So if anyone hearing this and says, I want to change in my career, I maybe want to do something more meaningful, I'm happy to share my widget or email. Just contact me later to maybe hear more details about it or just come and visit. I think it's worth to have a look. That's a great offer. And we will put your contact details in the show notes so every interested FlexPad can reach out to you. A few more questions. You already explained how China's job have changed you. If you summarize it to one word, what learning are you most grateful for while living in China for the past eight years? Adaptiveness. If I need one word, probably I, I learned to be adaptive towards other people, towards other ways of thinking, other ways of living. Adaptiveness or acceptance of others, of different. This is the best, the best gift I got from this experience. What would you advise to every flexpat who is now listening to us for their working or private life? It's easy to say, but difficult to do. Don't be judgmental. Don't judge the way things are managed here. You chose to be here. No one forced you. I'm not, I know it's difficult because we tend to criticize everything that is not similar to what we know or believe or think is correct. But this doesn't take you far if, if, you, if you stick to your own kind of belief systems or whatever. You, you, will, you, you lose so much. You lose so much of the colors and, and the experiences that, that China can give you. Just accept it as it is. Adjust yourself to it to the extent that you can and enjoy the ride. It was very special talking to you. I'm sure not only me, but also a lot of our listeners have never touched this kind of topic, especially in this market. My very last question, to whom would you recommend listening to this episode? I don't know, whoever is interested in hearing about something a little bit different in China that is happening, about more of this kind of cultural 
the, the ones that are under under the radar because in, in China we as, as foreigners are always very much career focused but there are actually many many positive things that are happening in China in the social sector I mean a lot of groups of activists and people who want to make society better so I think it's interesting for the foreigners to know about these kind of things to know about things that are less being discussed even in this aspect of the social sector in China over the eight years that we are here it changed so much for the better so much I mean the environment eight years ago was much much more challenging today we are much more accepted people are coming to our factory schools are coming to visit we we find the, the government is more willing to support and cooperate I would recommend foreigners who wants to dive deep a little bit further into this Chinese culture that we are it was really great talking to you and learn about all these insights and to have you as a guest in our Plexbit podcast thank you very much thank you very much it was a pleasure thank you Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, share it with your friends, give us a five-star rating on your podcast app and reach out to us through WeChat for guests or topics you like to learn more about. That's all for today. Until next time.